between um, women and the struggle for socialism and women's demands and the revolution. Um, and it's really important for us to sort of remember all those, all of those connections and to understand the importance of uniting men and women in the class struggle, that we have a common interest. It's, it is our joint struggle and men and women both are going to benefit from the outcome you know, immeasurably from the new society that we're building. It will benefit all of us in all of those concrete ways we're so desperate to see. Everyone knows that life right now is not all right. Everybody knows they want change, don't they? You can't meet anybody. You can't meet anybody who won't tell you, yeah, life, he'll tell you life is perfect. No, everybody knows things are bad. Everybody knows things need to change. They just can't quite put their finger on how is it going to work out. That's, you know, that's where we're streets ahead, is we have understood what it is that needs to change so that that feeling can go away and we can feel positive about the lives we live and the future we're offering to our poor flipping children. Um, but, and I love that quote from the Tsarist policemen that the mothers are the most dangerous. <laughs> you know? And I feel like our rulers have understood that. You know, they keep us busy. They keep us, they, we have, there's so much hysteria in the newspapers how a mother should never take her eyes off her child. And that instantly, instantly cuts all mothers of young children out of any political or social life, doesn't it? You are a bad mother if your child is not under your eye 24-7. Well, that's brilliant for making sure the mothers aren't very dangerous after all, isn't it? And we've all sucked it into it. You take your eye off your child and you feel so bad if it's not you with your child all the time. Bad mother, bad mother, bad mother. There's been a massive campaign to tell us what bad mothers we are if we're not with our children in the last 20 years. Um, so we, we can see, we can feel, as they're dismantling the welfare state, they're rolling back the gains that women under capitalism had made. And that, once again, shows you the connection between the gains we made and socialism. We got gains because of socialism in the USSR, because of the pressure that put on the bourgeoisie everywhere, and the moral high ground was lost to them, and all their arguments about women being inferior were lost because of the proof in the Soviet Union. And as the Soviet Union disappeared, as the welfare state's being dismantled, our gains are being, they're disappearing in front of our eyes. You know, and again, the, the objectification of women is going up massively, isn't it, in the current, current society that has nothing to offer, no future to offer our kids. It's setting them against each other again, boys versus girls, in a way I didn't see when I was young, but it's, it's coming back very strongly. Um, I really like, Ella, how you emphasised the role of women uh, in the February Revolution, in the revolu revolution movement. Generally, it's so important for us to remember and to bring to women, now that Women's Day has been co-opted as a kind of bourgeois festival of sell you some rubbish and put some representative of monopoly capital in front of you and say, look, women can do anything. Here's Hillary Clinton with this murderous system. Uh, you know, women can do anything. Isn't it wonderful? You too could become a mass murderer for capital. Um, but it is International Working Women's Day. That's the origins of the day. That's its proper name. That's its history. Its history is a revolutionary history. Its history is a class struggle history. You know, that they're co-opting it shows that they're on the back foot, actually. But we have to, 
we have to push back and take it back and be very clear with people where that struggle came from and why the women's struggle is a class struggle and not a women v men thing. Um, and that brings us, of course, to the difference right from the beginning in Engels. Everything through the works of Marxism, you understand the difference between the formal and the socialist approach to women's oppression. The legalistic approach that says, yes, yes, we'll get rid of these laws that uh, put women in an inferior position, but in practice do nothing to change the situation. So a few women can make it to the top, and they can all argue about the glass ceiling and whether or not they're on equal pay on their 200, 300, 400 grand salaries. Whilst the situation for working women, they might be on equal pay. Equal pay at minimum wage is not much of a liberation, is it? Especially when minimum wage is not something anybody can live on. Um, so this legalistic equality versus the Soviet, the communist approach, which is remove the obstacles in the way of women. And, you know, on the one hand, they did that brilliant thing, which now feels like ancient history, but was so important of abolishing this distinction between illegitimate and legitimate children, which had been used as a massive means of coercion and social control over women. You know, that if you have a child in the wrong circumstances, that child and your life will be blighted forever. You know, that's a massive, massive weapon for the control of women. Um, but the measures they took for facilitating women's social involvement, you know, this thing where, and I find this still, the, the more privileged, the better off people you talk to, when you talk to them about the basic socialist programme for women, of providing all those facilities that, that socialise uh, women's labour, they'll look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> Uh -huh. And it might be because they've got the money to pay for these services. They can use a laundrette, or they, you know, they can um, pay a cleaner, or their children, they can afford nurseries, or they happen to have a, you know, a liberated husband who helps around the house. You know. But this idea that sharing the housework in private is the answer, um, or paying for people to help you, you know, your private burden is shared out a little bit if you have money or your husband helps as opposed to the socialist thing, where we recognise that this work that's being done in people's homes is a social labour. It is socially necessary that everyone is fed and cleaned and children are brought up and old people are taken care of. Society needs that work to be done. And so socialism recognises this is social work and as much as possible we will socialise it. We will make it respected, dignified, properly paid, properly done work. Do the best standards possible. The best standards. Now, of course, we again have a prejudice against care homes or nurseries because we see the shit end, don't we? What capitalism does when it's taking things apart and isn't bothered about delivering decent services and where anybody with money chooses a different option. We see the sinks that are left behind when social services are being gutted and go, ooh, it's like we think of, when we think of social housing, we don't think of the best possible housing for our people, we think of a sink estate, where nothing's been repaired for 30 years and everybody's out of work, you know? But that's not what social housing is, and that's not what social care is. Real social care by a society that's set up for and in the interests of its people is something completely different. And there is no way that an individual family can in any way rival the kind of care that 
is possible to offer in a social situation by people who are qualified and paid and respected and trained and in an environment that's really designed to have the best interests of our children or our old people, whichever it may be, at heart. There is no way you can better that in the home. There simply isn't. Um, but it's really interesting to see the difference then when you put that programme of providing these facilities to working class women, because they never hear it. The people who really need this, who need to know that that's what socialism is going to offer them, have never heard anybody say it. Because there's not a single party that calls itself left socialist communist in this country, apart from ours, and you know, we're just too small, nobody's heard of us, nobody meets us. There's nobody outside of us who ever says this to anybody. Nobody says that. They all talk about the women's struggle the way the bourgeoisie talks about it, like it's something to do with equal pay at the BBC or having more women doctors. You know, they don't explain that what it's truly about is liberating them from the extra burden of unpaid labour by socialising that work and freeing them. And when you say it to them, when you say to a working-class woman who's, been, who's struggling to bring up children and do all of those things and to work at the same time, <clears throat> well, of course, what we want to do is provide nurseries and creches and laundries and dining rooms. Um, I said that to a woman recently in Rotherham, and she said, what, you mean, like, so when I go home from work, I could, like, clean my teeth, grab the kids and take them out to dinner? I was like, yeah. She was like, oh, my God, that sounds like heaven. <laughs> No one had ever said it to her. <clears throat> she was my age, you know, not young. She brought up her children, you know. She had no idea that that's what socialism means for women. So it's really, really important that we understand that this is our message to working class women. Take it out to them. And don't be ashamed to take it out because no one else is saying it. Because this is actually meaningfully what, what socialism means in the family, means to women. Um, and just to, to, to re-emphasise that the difference between socialism and bourgeois feminism is that while bourgeois feminism talks about attitudes of individuals, we talk about conditions in society. And we just have to keep remembering that. This is not about, yes, yes, when we change people's conditions, no doubt we will also work on some backward attitudes that people still have. But the backward attitudes are not the root of the problem. The backward attitudes stem from the conditions. And the first thing we need to do is address the conditions.